0: At this point, I would actually like to invite Pastor David and Chris Bay to come on stage with me. We're going to do something special today. We're going to do some scripture reading because today is a special service. We're doing an ordination today, and so we're going to begin with reading scripture. This special ordination is a recognition of the work that God is already doing in the life of Scott Hunter, and I want us to emphasize today that we as a church are not calling Scott. God has already called Scott to serve. Rather, we today are recognizing the call of God. And so let's go ahead and begin with reading scripture.
1: This is from 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13. Overseers and deacons. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he must desire a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, The husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, are to be men of worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. And then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband but one wife, and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain excellent standing and a great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus.
2: The next passage is from Acts chapter six verses one through seven, uh, seven chosen to serve. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon. Carminus, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Thank you both. Today, we are going to study
0: ordination. We're going to study the roles of people in the church. And the argument that I'm going to make is an argument that every one of us has a role to play in the church. So as we start on, the first point that I want to make is that every Christian has been called to serve Christ. Every Christian has been called to serve Christ. You probably agree with me right now. After all, it passes the smell test, right? It smells, right? Every Christian has been called to serve Christ. Sure. Let me go a step further. And let me say it this way. Every Christian has been called to serve in an office for Christ. And now you might say, wait a second. Wait a second. What do you mean called to serve in an office? I'm not called to be a deacon. I'm not called to be a pastor. Let me read to you what Charles Hodge defines as an office. Charles Hodge is a theologian, uh, a very prolific writer. Here's what he wrote an office is. It's something which cannot be assumed at pleasure by any and everyone. A man must be appointed thereto by some competent authority. It involves not only the right, but the obligation to exercise certain functions or to discharge certain duties, and it confers certain powers or prerogatives which other men are bound to recognize and respect. So that's how Charles Hodge defines an office. Let me sort of summarize that. Narrow that down for you. An office is a position that cannot be assumed, has not just rights but also responsibilities, and confers a particular power or prerogative on an individual. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. We'll put it up on the screen as well. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. This is what it says. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer is writing to the church, and he's making the argument that some Christians are called to serve as church members. Some of us are called to serve as church members, and this is an office. You see, it's not something that can just be assumed. It's not something that just happens. Rather, it is the call of God on your life to accept him as your personal savior. What that means is you accept that Jesus came to earth, died on the cross to pay for your sins, and that complete faith in Christ for your sins is sufficient for forgiveness. It is sufficient. You are called to Christ, and then after you've been called to Christ and been baptized, you can join a local church. And Hebrews 10, verses 24 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. So there is a call, a call to Christ. There is a responsibility to spur one another on. And there is a prerogative to encourage one another. It is an office. There's a call, there's a responsibility, and a prerogative. I love the word to spur. You see, every Christian has a responsibility to spur one another on. The Greek word spur actually means to irritate. Okay? That's the idea behind this. It actually is to irritate one another. For what? To good works. Think about a horse. Now, I am not an expert on horses. If you really want to know the truth of this, you'll have to talk to Carl after the service. But horses can be stubborn. They don't always go the direction you want them to go. And so there are times where the solution to the horse being stubborn is to drive the spur into the side of the horse. It's not comfortable. Does it hurt the horse? No. Is it comfortable? Absolutely not. That is our prerogative. It is our responsibility is to spur one another on to good works. We have a responsibility when we join a church to spur one another on, not to give up the meeting together, but to encourage one another. We all have a responsibility. So I know it's early in the sermon for me to give an action step, but I'm gonna do it. Okay? Here's the action step If you are here today and you have not formally joined Southview Baptist Church, then it's time to accept your commission as an officer. Christ has called you. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and been baptized, The next step is to join a church. To join together that we might spur one another on. And so your action step is really simple. During the time of invitation, come. Come forward and proclaim that you want to join together in order that you might spur one another on. So some Christians are called to serve as church members. We're going to see, though, that some Christians are actually called to serve as pastors. So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4. I'm going to have you bouncing all over the place today. So if you are out of practice on your sword drills, today's the day. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. Let's read this one together. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In God's model, he calls some people to be church members. He calls others to be pastors. If you have been called to serve as a pastor, I want to remind you of your calling. Remember, Church members, we have a calling, a calling to spur one another on. Pastors, we too have a calling. We don't get out of the spur one another on, by the way. This is in addition. We have a calling to equip the church and to build the body. It is an important calling to equip the church and build the body. The pastor has a lot of responsibilities in the church a lot of things that are vying for their attention, a lot of priorities that could come up. But the priority that God has given, the absolute bare minimum, you better get this right, is the equipping of the body and building up the church. The equipping work is primary to the pastor. Don't let administration interfere with equipping and building. I have to remind myself of that. Don't, Get caught up in community to the point that you forget about your job of equipping and building. Don't get caught up in personal study to the point where you get away from equipping the body. Don't get so caught up in counseling all sorts of problems that you lose track of your role of equipping. Here's the hard one, I think. Don't let deep theological discussions or theories distract from your role of equipping. Pastors are called to equip the body. Some people are called to be pastors. Some people are called to serve as deacons. But what I want to point out to you, what I want you to notice, is why the deacons were chosen in Acts chapter 6. The deacons were chosen because the needs of the congregation had taken away from the ministry of the word. So here is a fact of life. You're, you will believe me on this one. There are some times where life is hard. And sometimes the solution to life is hard is not a sermon. Do you agree? There are situations that a sermon doesn't solve. There are needs that arise that if I come to your house and I pull out my Bible and I preach a sermon at you're going to say, great, now how are we going to solve the problem? That is the reality of life. God, in his wisdom, provided a way for the church to meet those needs. And that is through the role of the deacon. Deacons function to serve the needs of the congregation and preserve unity in the congregation. As a church, our deacons do this in a number of ways. I don't know if you all know this. So let me tell you some of the things that our deacons do and part of their role as deacons. Our deacons serve by attending to special projects. This has ranged from any number of things. Um, Our deacons have changed the battery out on somebody's car because their car wouldn't start. Our deacons have rebuilt somebody's stairs into their house because they were falling apart. Our deacons have served the physical needs of the congregation because when your battery won't, when your car won't turn over because your battery's dead, if I show up and preach to you, you might smack me. (laughs) It's truth. Our deacons serve the physical needs of the congregation. Our deacons manage a benevolence fund, an opportunity for people to give towards physical needs of the church and our deacons manage that fund because I want nothing to do with money. Our deacons will visit church members, call them on the phone, find out what their needs are, discuss life with them. Our deacons arrange for visits with new visitors. When a visitor comes in, the deacons will often contact them and arrange for them to be part of a meal or to be invited to something at the church. Our deacons encourage people to get connected with Sunday school. Our deacons help me by asking me if I am focused on edifying the church or am I being distracted by the other needs. Our deacons serve a vital role in the church. Some Christians are called to serve as deacons, And it is a wonderful calling. So we have callings. All of us do. You might be called to serve as a member of the church, spurring one another on to love and good works. You might be called as a pastor whose responsibility is the edification and the building up of the body. Or you might be called as a deacon, being called to meet the needs of the congregation and preserve unity as you work to meet those needs of the congregation but we all have a calling. So let me give you all an action step now. Take a moment. Rededicate yourself to serving in the role to which you have been called. If that call is a call to meet the physical needs of the congregation, then do so. If that call is a call to edify, to lead in the edification of the body, do so if that call is a call to spur one another on to love and good works, then start spurring one another on. We all have a call. I want to go a little bit deeper now into the act of ordination. So we're going to go back into Acts chapter 6, where we were. And what I want to point out to you, what I want to show you, is that some Christians are officially recognized to serve in a special capacity. There is a tradition, a biblical way of doing things, that has been handed to us of officially recognizing that some people are called to serve in a special capacity. The role of deacon and pastor is important. And the early church, in Acts chapter 6, Followed the tradition of laying on of hands. But did you know the church, early church was not the ones that invented the laying on of hands? This actually started, if we go all the way back to Joshua and Moses, when Moses was recognizing Joshua as the next leader, Moses laid his hands on Joshua in Numbers chapter 27, verses 15 through 20, as a symbolic act of recognizing Joshua as being a leader of Israel. Ordination, the laying on of hands, marks a point of officially recognizing the work of God in an individual's life. Look at Acts 6, verse 6. Acts 6, verse 6 says, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. An official act the act of ordination by which somebody is officially recognized as God working in them in this special way, this office that we call deacon. Today, in this service, we will be continuing a biblical tradition of laying on of hands, of recognizing that God has called somebody to serve in this office of deacon. Recognize For all of you, that when we do this, we are following a tradition that goes back to probably about 1400 B.C. This is one of the most ancient traditions that you'll ever see take place. That's significant. That's important. The laying on of hands, the ordination, marks a point of officially recognizing the work of God in an individual's life. But ordination also serves another purpose. It serves the purpose of safeguarding ministry. First Timothy 5:22. First Timothy 5 verse 22 says, "Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure." In context, this passage is speaking about elders who have gone astray pastors who have gone astray and Paul's solution to that is be careful be careful who you ordain because ordination recognizes the ability to serve in a special capacity so be careful use it to safeguard ministry back in Acts chapter 6 I told you you're going to be all over the place back in Acts chapter 6 in verse 7 What I see is that ordination serves to encourage the ordained. And how I see that in verse 7, it says, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. You see, the act of ordination, it marks a point of officially recognizing someone. It safeguards ministry But it is God's way of doing things, and it is therefore an encouragement. The church in Acts grew when the apostles took this step of bringing more people in and recognizing the way God was working. It was an encouragement to the ordained, I'm sure, to the church, absolutely. And we even see that a fair number of priests came to know Jesus as their Savior as a result of this. Ministry is hard. To all of you who have been called to serve in the office of pastor or deacon, ministry is hard. There are going to be rough spots. There are going to be times where you need to remind yourself that you've been called to serve. And the person that God calls, God equips. Ministry will be hard, but ordination serves to recognize to safeguard, and to encourage. Finally, I want us to look at Acts 13, and what I want you to see there is that the local church, the local church is tasked with recognizing those whom God has called to serve in a special capacity. The local church is given the task of recognizing those who God has called to serve in a special capacity. Acts 13, verses 1 through 3, is the commissioning of Paul and Barnabas to serve. Read with me verses 1 through 3. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. We tend to run through those verses really fast. Let's take a second and look at verse 1 very closely. It says a bunch of names that were in the church. And included in this list is Paul and Barnabas. In order to understand this, I want you to understand the timeline. When I think of the book of Acts, I think for some reason of it being a very compressed timeline. I imagine the book of Acts taking place over the course of like a year. That's not at all what happened in the book of Acts. Let me give you an idea of the scope of time. Paul came to Christ in Acts chapter 9. Most likely that's around AD 34. Okay, so AD 34 is about Acts chapter 9. Galatians 1.17 tells us that Paul, after coming to Christ, traveled to Arabia and spent time in the Arabian desert studying Christ. He then returned to Tarsus after having visited Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 11, so chapter 9 to chapter 11, Barnabas goes to Tarsus gets Paul and says, we need help in Antioch. In Acts chapter 12, Herod Agrippa dies. And so we can get the timeline here because we know when Herod Agrippa dies. Herod Agrippa dies in AD 44. So understand what's just happened. We went from Acts 9 in AD 34 all the way over here to Acts 12 in AD 44. A span of 10 years. The church had... Ten years to watch the Apostle Paul before we get to Acts chapter 13. The church had ten years of time to watch them. The church at Antioch had time to observe Paul and Barnabas. Before ordaining them, the church took time to observe them. Before sending them out, the church watched their actions, evaluated their work, If we're going to safeguard ministry, we have to know the people we're ordaining. And the church practiced that. When we get to verse 2, what I want you to see is that the whole fact, the church did not call Paul and Barnabas to ministry. The Holy Spirit did it. The church recognized the Holy Spirit's call. The Holy Spirit calls Paul and Barnabas to ministry. The church recognizes that call and then acts on that call. Finally, in verse 3, we see the formal recognition of that call. The church in Antioch laid hands on Paul and Barnabas in recognition of God's call. So a few things that I want you to really grasp out of these verses. One, ordination is not something that is taken lightly. It occurs after time of observation. Two, the Holy Spirit is the one that calls. We don't call. But three, it is an act of the church to recognize that call. I'm going to ask you as an action step. We're going to do this in a minute. But join me today. This is our action step. Join me today in officially recognizing the call that God has placed on Scott Hunter's life to serve as deacon. Here in a little bit, I will ask the ordained men of the church to come forward. But I want you to understand that when they come forward, they are coming forward as your representatives. The church, you all as a church, are the ones that are recognizing that call on Scott's life. The ordained men are simply representing you in this act. We're going to invite them to come forward. We're going to lay hands on Scott that we might recognize God's call. The work that God has already done through Scott. Starting when he accepted Jesus as his Savior. As he has grown and developed and we've been able to watch as he's begun serving in various roles. But let me give you all one more action step before we do all that. Today is special. But don't just walk away. Don't just walk away today without first asking yourself, how has God called me to serve? Today we are going to recognize someone, and you could just, at the end of the service, go to your Sunday school class. You could just say, that was nice. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for Scott. You might even say, I'm happy for our church. We have one more deacon that will help. All of those things are true. But don't let the moment pass without first asking yourself, how has God called me to serve? God may be calling you to serve as a member. God may be calling you to serve as a pastor. God may be calling you to serve as a deacon as well. Ask yourself the question. Don't walk away without first asking, how has God called me to serve? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you call us to serve, whether that's as a church member, whether that's as a pastor, or whether that's as a deacon. You have called us to serve. I pray that we would rededicate ourselves to serving you, Father, your model of the church is a call, a call that you place on everybody who's accepted Jesus as their Savior. But it's not a call to just sit. It is a call to engage, to serve. Father, I pray that we would take that call seriously, dedicating ourselves to serving you with all we have the one who gave all that we have already to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.